So join me tonight, if you would, in the book of Esther, chapter 9. The book of Esther, chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18. They're much the same. The message in them is about the same that we want to look at. I will never forget, I hope I never forget, you know, uh, Brother Mahan, who brought me the gospel, shared with me one of the best pieces of instruction a preacher could have, and that is wherever you are in the Word of God, look for Christ. Find that trail to Christ and get going on that just as soon as possible. Well, that's what I want to do tonight. Because this passage of Scripture shares so much about what we have in the victory that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, just remember, Israel in the Persian Empire was on the brink of destruction. They're on the brink of destruction. The command had gone out to destroy all of Israel. And then we find out in God's providence, in God's purpose, it was not going to happen. And we have one of those great preachers of righteousness sharing, if it's not through you, Esther, deliverance will come some other way. He understood that the people of God would be delivered. And how it happens sometimes is not easy to figure out, but it happened, and he was part of it. And we find out that the very beginning, in the fall, before the fall, in the council halls of eternity, in the covenant of grace, God determined to save a people. That was, we're going to call them the Jews, spiritual Israel. And even in the fall, they had been marked down, chosen, put in a book, and let know that they would be redeemed by God. Now, we didn't know that at the time. We had no interest in it. When the gospel came to us, when religion came to us, that was not of interest. But we find out when we're born again that he reveals these things to us. I had an interest in you before the foundation of the world. Well, here... As the children of Israel are on the very brink of destruction, as it appeared, we have an overseer. We have uh, one who holds all things in the palm of his hand. We have the one who works behind the lattice, the one who works without anybody being able to see him. You know, it's wonderful to read in the scriptures that God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's hidden from us. There's that whole realm that is hidden from us by nature. We can't understand spiritual words. We can't understand understand spiritual teaching. We cannot understand anything spiritual. We can't understand God until he reveals himself to us. And then, by God's grace, we begin to see some of the blessings that, that he has in his very person, in the person of Christ Jesus. He had an eternal purpose, and it was to save all Israel from their sins and to deliver them. Uh, I have given to the Son all of these folks, and they will be under his care. He will be their surety. He will die for them. He will suffer for them. He will put his, himself in their place and will take care of the sin debt. Now, after God does that for us, we find these two verses share with us the results. And I like results. I like the results of God's great victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so in verse 17, on the 13th day of the month, Adar, we're not going to get too concerned about that. It was a time when God decreed that there was going to be this. And on the 14th day of the same, rested they. Now, after the victory is understood and completed, what does it say? They rested. 
Okay, and then it says, and made a day of feasting and gladness. Verse 18. Now the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof, and on the 14th day thereof, and on the 15th day the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Now we'd like to look at this tonight from a uh, New Testament eye. Looking at the Old Testament through New Testament eyes, we see here that this great time of rest and feasting and gladness at least represents and pictures the saints of God, the blessings of God, and therefore the, the greatness of such an unexpected deliverance. The greatness of a poor sinner just ready to perish when the soul is made to hear the voice of God. Seemingly ready to perish, and then God does something so gracious, and he saves him. Turn with me here to the book of Job for just one verse of Scripture. The book of Job, right next door here, Job 33. In Job 33, we hear these words as it is decreed and declared. The word of God is so clear on this subject that there had been a ransom found. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. Job chapter 33, verse 24. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. The payment price is being made and the transaction took place as we read about our Savior, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here are the results of this great transaction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on the behalf of the children of God they are given rest. Now this word that is found in this verse of Scripture is not Sabbath. It's not that kind of rest. It is better. It's not religious. We can see all of this is a picture and a type here in Esther. God working behind the scenes to fulfill His purpose with His people. And what a response. This great deliverance brings what the results of God's great deliverance to the church, rest from their labors, feasting and coming together at the feet of the Savior, and to drink and to eat, that's what that word means, and gladness with great joy of heart. Now this word rest, now before we get too far afield here, turn with me to the book of First Kings. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. Now, I can't often turn there. I have to look it up. But it is one of my favorite verses in the reign of Solomon because it shares with so much with us about how it pictures, what a type, what a shadow it is of our position in Christ Jesus and what He gives to us and what He produces in us. It is a gift. It's a product of His great work of grace. In 1 Kings chapter 4, and verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25, this message that God shared through the publication or through the, through the kingdom of Solomon. Notice this. During Solomon's reign, it says, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. 
Now, that's where God's people dwell today. We dwell in Christ in that same manner. We dwell spiritually. They dwell physically. Which would you rather have? Well, we'd like to have a little peace in this world, but my goodness, it doesn't compare to what we have in Christ. Every man under his fig tree, under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. There was a place of rest. They, there was no wars. They didn't have to go fighting battles. They built the temple. And it was, as it says, during the days, all the days of Solomon, there was this safety, everyone under his vine and under his fig tree. What's that represent to us? We rest in Christ. He is our vine. We rest in Christ. He's our food. So we have this blessed, and it's demonstrated here in the book of Esther chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. This word rest, it means resting place. It is not Sabbath, it is resting place, a place of quiet. That's kind of what is represented over there in the book of 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25 about where the people under Solomon's reign, what is such a picture of the peace that we have in Christ Jesus today. We rest in Him. The, The battle is done. And if there was a battle to fight, he's going to fight it. (laughs) Because we can't. Anyway, so here we read about this wonderful position of rest. This place of rest. It is mentioned here in the book of Esther. There's three times it's used here in the book of Esther. Chapter 9, 16, 17, and 18. This word is used. So let's go back to the book of Esther, chapter 9, for just a moment. Esther, chapter 9. And there in... Uh, three verses in that verses, uh, passage of Scripture, in that chapter, this particular word is used. And we might ask ourselves, where does the church find its resting place? We are given a resting place. And that's what these children of Israel had. They had been brought to a resting place. Now, it means to be at rest, but it is wonderful to be at rest at a resting place. Here in the book of Esther, chapter 9, there in verse uh, 16, we read that. Verse 16, it says, uh, But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies. They had rest from their enemies. What is our enemies? Sin? Death? The grave? Hell? Whatever. And the Lord Jesus took upon all of those enemies and we have rest from our enemies in Christ Jesus. He is our resting place. He's the place where we come to and we find that rest. And in verse 17, we read that. It says there, and the same rested they. And verse 18, it tells us there, the same they rested. It is a place of rest. Now, this word is almost identical to a word that we find in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we find in the book of Hebrews a number of times, and it talks about rest there, and it also means a resting place. He's not talking about the Sabbath. Now, Christ is our Sabbath, and Christ is our resting place. But here, turn with me, it's found one time in Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7. This word that means a resting place. The word means such much the same as in the New Testament is a a putting to rest or a resting place. We appreciate and enjoy rest. 
Did you know that it's necessary for us to have rest? Absolutely essential for life. But when it comes to spiritual things, there's nothing better than being at rest with God. To come at rest with God. Now, He's the one that produces that because Christ is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. And as uh, Marilyn brought out there with regard to Peter after committing a great crime against God, betraying Him. The first words that Jesus mentioned to him upon meeting him, peace be unto you. Now, he wasn't being sarcastic. He's being honest and truthful. This is what I have brought to you, is peace. Peace be unto you. All right, here in the book of Acts, chapter 7, this message of Stephen. Now, the culmination of this message is his death. He's a preacher of righteousness, and he preaches, and he stirs up the indignation of a bunch of people, Pharisees, Calvinists, (laughs) and they stone him to death. All right? Acts chapter 7, and there in verse 49. Heaven, this is what, this Stephen says this with regard to the temple, and, and he's saying this, uh, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Now that's the words of God. That's the words of the Lord. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Now a lot of people looked at that temple as a place of their rest. And a lot of people looked back to the tabernacle and said, this is a place of my rest. Well, you didn't find any chairs around there. Every day was the same old story. Now, it's a wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ once, once in these latter days, once He has put away sin for His people forever. There is rest with Him. So, or what is the place of my rest? Now, let's look at the other places that this particular word is used in the Greek in the book of Hebrews, every other time it's used in the book of Hebrews, and it has to deal with a rest. And this rest is the result of the victory that Jesus Christ had at the cross, and in his burial, and in his resurrection, and in his ascension back to the Father, that he would demonstrate that the success of the cross is successful. He absolutely was successful in doing what he intended to do, and that it was to be put sin as far as the east is from the west, to pay for it completely, and there would be no charge laid against the elect. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So there's no charges can be brought up. You can't bring them against me, and I cannot bring them against you. Because God's not going to bring them. All right, let's hear, look here in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 11. He says this to a bunch of the Israelites that did not believe. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my resting place. I swear to them, they shall not. 
And in that same chapter, in verse 18, this word is mentioned again. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but them that believe not. So those that are unbelievers, those who are never purchased by the blood of Christ, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they don't have a place of rest. There is nothing spoken of rest for them. Spiritual rest there is none. In fact, for eternity there is total unrest. There is no rest at all. There is no peace at all. But in Christ Jesus, we get to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's going to be absolute rest. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, and we'll read this. Just think, as those, all those Jews there in the book of Esther were on the very pinnacle of being destroyed by the edict of Haman, and God Almighty intercedes on their behalf. We fell on Adam. Thank God he interceded on our behalf. He stepped in. He became our surety. The Lord Jesus Christ became our surety. And as a result, he gave us a resting place, a place to sit down under him, our vine. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, we read this. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Oh, the plea goes out. That's why we read in the Scriptures, make your calling and election sure. There's time and time again, the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to challenge. You know, I was visiting with a lady today, and she said, I was seven years old when I asked Jesus into my heart. And I says, you know, I did the same thing. I made a profession of faith, and then I heard the gospel, and the Lord saved me. And she says, well, I just had better understanding. <laughs> you know, I didn't have any understanding when I was 11, so that's why I didn't get it. No, the thing is, you're not going to be saved by an ungospel. You're going to be saved by the preaching of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So I just, man, to myself, I'm going to pray for you. The Lord had me there for a reason. And I have her phone number. She has some pictures on her share, and I'm going to share more than that. So, what does it say here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 3? For we which have believed, what? Do enter into rest. Now, we know that that belief is not our belief. It's what's what was given to us. We rest in that. It was a gift. But we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wide, God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. And down in verse 10, And for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. 
we're not depending on our works. We're depending upon His blood and righteousness. That's one thing that God demands when He saves us. And you know what? He gives us the ability to follow that demand. We will cease from our works. We find out how trivial, how terrible they are against a thrice holy God and His work. God ceased from his work after the full creation and said it's good and it's very good. And so we have that. And then in verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So where are you? Where are we when it comes to this? Are we trusting Christ and Christ alone? Then we have rest. All right, what a place those people had come to after the victory was won they had rest. Now there's two other things that they had that is brought out in that verse of scripture, or those two verses of scripture. It says they had a day of feasting. A day of feasting. I like feasts, don't you? Uh, a coming together. Now this coming together meant to eat and to drink. And this word is used several times in the, even in the book of Esther and it is, the word has been translated banquet. She had a banquet. She invited the king and Haman to a banquet. And the request made at that banquet was come tomorrow to another banquet. So they sat down and drank and eat. This thought, when viewed through New Testament eyes, see the church called to feast on the person and work of Jesus Christ. This made so much sense to me when I found that passage of Scripture over there in the book of John chapter 6, where he said, unless you drink my blood and, or eat my flesh and drink my blood, we are called on spiritually to feast on him. Now let's just go over to the book of John chapter 6 for a moment. The book of John chapter 6. Now this is no trivial thing that is brought out. The Lord is not talking about the Lord's Supper. It hasn't even been instituted. He's not talking about that. And he's not talking about how people have taken the Lord's Supper and perverted it to such a place that they say that we're actually drinking the blood and eating the flesh of the Savior. How perverted is that? Well, here in the book of John, chapter 6, John chapter 6 and verse 53. John chapter 6 and verse 53. Let us read this together as we find the Lord saying, Verily, verily, which has double emphasis, this could have been translated amen, amen. In fact, there are places in the New Testament where that word was translated amen, or so be it, so be it. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now that's a serious statement. Now that's why they perverted it. <laughs> they want to have Salvation, a physical act. And we find out that God has demanded that it be a spiritual act, and that spiritual act is called a birth, and that spiritual birth comes from God alone. It is the new birth. It is coming from God. So he said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, what? Hath eternal life. This is no small thing. This is an absolute essential. Now, what's going on at this time is... They're conducting the Passover. And he steps in and says, let me explain the Passover. Now we go back to the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 12 and we find out that only Jews participated in that Passover. 
And it was a symbol of the broken body. And eventually became, they drank wine. It was a symbol of the broken body and shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And only the Jews took it. And everyone that took the blood and put it on the outside was delivered. And those who did not have the blood were not delivered. Now, we find out that there was death in every household. In the Jewish household, there was a death. And in the household of the Egyptians, there was a death. In the household of the Egyptians, it was the firstborn. In the household of the Israelites, it was the death of a lamb. It was a substitutionary death. And it is the death of the lamb that we celebrate. We celebrate. Now, we're planning to have communion service. Come to the Lord's table. We're not drinking his blood and we're not taking his flesh when we do that. It is something spiritual that God grants to us in the new birth that we get to participate so closely that it's like being grafted in. We become him and he is us. And so it goes on to tell us here, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, verse 54, hath eternal life. What a serious statement. If you don't do this, you don't have it. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's exactly what he said to to, uh, Mary and Martha about Lazarus. You know, you you said you'll raise him up at the last day. Well, I'm going to take care of another time earlier than that. All right? So, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. It is a spiritual relationship that God has granted us, worms, to enjoy in our rest. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, and even he shall live by me. So we have this wonderful statement here made by the Lord Jesus Christ about coming to a feast. We're coming to Christ in a feast. We get to sit down and eat and drink. Spiritually speaking, eat and drink of the blessings of Christ the blessings of his redemptive work, the blessings of the cross, the blessings of the covenant of grace, the blessings that we have in God Almighty in Christ Jesus. We get to feast. It is so joyful, too, because we're not having to watch the outside to see whether it's go- we're going to get shot doing it. We're at rest. God doesn't have a hand raised up and ready to slap us if we get over the line. It's at rest, and now we get to enjoy this feast. To eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ is to believe that the Messiah Christ has come in the flesh and is truly and really man. A lot of people were looking for a king to come. The church has seen in this king a man. The man Christ Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, He came and dwelt in the flesh. He came like unto us. He came like his brethren. And it was that that went to the cross and died for our sins. That his flesh is given for the life of his people and his blood is shed for their sins. And we delight in that. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for our sins. It is natural thing to do as Nicodemus did when he said, how can these things be? Must I? That's a natural man talking if you ever heard one. 
And that's what you hear most of the time about this passage of Scripture here in the book of John. Look at it from a physical standpoint and are you on shaky ground? And if God reveals this to us from a spiritual standpoint, we say, I'm resting in Him and I'm feasting with Him. Nicodemus said, how can this be? Do I enter my mother's womb the second time and be born? That's how far a natural man can look at spiritual things. Totally out of his realm. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. When the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth, we have a mind that can be taught by the Spirit of God. We're thankful for whatever He gives us. As the Syrophoenician woman said, even crumbs from the Master's table beats what I had before. All right. So we get to feast. We get to sit and feast, to eat and drink. Christ lays down the principle that eating His flesh and drinking His blood is a thing not only possible, but absolutely necessary to salvation. It is a thing without which no man can see heaven. This passage has nothing to do with corporally eating, fleshly eating, his body and blood. It's spiritual. And nobody will understand that until they're born again. I don't know how many people we've had here, and I'm not one to say, you can't take the Lord's Supper. The Bible says, let a man search himself. But how many people here have we had over the last 35 years take the Lord's Supper and say, I'm getting a blessing out of this? No, I'm getting a blessing out of what this represents. Now we're to do it till He comes. We're doing it till He comes. All right. It has everything to do with spiritual being being, being at His banqueting house. All right, Song of Solomon again brings us out. The Song of Solomon. That's where we found out about the lattice. He's behind the lattice. He's got his fingerprints all over the book of Esther, all over this passage of Scripture that we're looking at tonight. His name is not found, but he is found. Here in the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. No, verse 4, excuse me. He brought me to the what? Banqueting house. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. He brought me to where I can eat and drink. Christ Jesus the Lord. The Lord speaks of the benefits of the Passover in Exodus to the physical body. Here he speaks of the blessing of the true Lamb of God to his spiritual body. So they rested and they feasted. They ate and drank. And then the last thing, gladness. They rejoiced. They had joy. That victory was so close. They, they were at the parapet. They were at the very... 
as Haman had sent those letters out, destruction was certain. Great fear came upon the Jews, for it was just, you know, and I think a little bit of that comes upon everyone that God ever saves. Lord, if it had not been for you. People say, it's not fair. I know what fair would have been. Judgment. That would have been fair. So by grace, we get to have gladness, rejoice, mirth, pleasure. It's a good thing to be in Christ. It's a joyful thing to be in Christ. It's a good thing to be brought out of the despondency of this world. It is a wonderful gladness to be lifted out of the horrible pit. It's not a terrible thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. It's a glad thing to be lifted out of the horrible pit and to be set on the solid rock Christ and to have our goings finally established. You know, when you're down to the, up to your neck, I remember, wasn't it, uh, Jeremiah was in a pit up to his neck. Not a lot of movement. <laughs> you're not going very far. He didn't go very far. Well, when the Lord lifts us out of that horrible pit and establishes our goings and puts a new song in our heart, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What a joy. Well, let's look over here in Psalm. Psalm 4. As we think about gladness, they had peace, they had rest, they had a feast, and they had gladness. And this is among the Jews. And you know what? We just read that among those those pagans, those those. Gentiles among those rapscallions that had all that nonsense, some of them became Jews. God saves his people out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. Some are Jews, many are Gentiles. All right. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 4. Let's read this verse of Scripture. Psalm 4, verse 7. It says there, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Isn't it good to have a good crop? Well, this is better. <laughs> I was talking to a wheat farmer yesterday. And, oh, this last year wasn't very good. Well, the year before it was really good, wasn't it? Oh, it was pretty good last year before. Yep. Cherry farmers the same way. But here it says, as we read here in Psalm 4 and verse, let me get over there again. My, my little book here traded places with me. Psalm 4 and verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. That's where we get our gladness. That's where we get our rest. That's where we get our feasting, and that's where we get our gladness. Thou hast done this. You're the one that gave me rest. You're the one that caused me to feast. And you're the one that gives me this gladness. More than the time of their corn and their wine increase. We brag in Christ and not what, where, or when we have in this world. Another place in the book of, uh, well, let's go to Psalm 100, and we'll look at this. Psalm, one more verse, and then a couple verses in the book of Isaiah. Psalm 100. 
What a blessing it is when those folks all enjoyed and appreciated the victory that they had. They had been spared. How close it became. What is that? There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that talks about it. Scarcely a righteous man. Oh, anyway, you know we look at it sometimes. It's just by the by the the very gnat's breath that we were delivered, and then we find out, oh, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. All right, Psalm one hundred and verse two. Psalm one hundred verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. You know, when we have a stick after us, that's not very gladness. You're going to serve the Lord or I'm going to beat you. That's not what the Lord does. He puts it in our heart to serve Him. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Serve it with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. We've been delivered from the pit from going down to the pit, for he hath found someone to purchase us. All right, a couple verses in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. As we think about all those Jews throughout the Persian Empire, 127 provinces, word got out, the gospel was sent in their language, and they got it, and they were given the victory, and as a conclusion of that, they rested they feasted and they were glad. All right. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. It says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. And uh, upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's God's word. The ransomed of the Lord shall return, and they will come with songs and joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's no longer our ministry. (laughs) All right, one more. Isaiah 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51 and verse 3. And it says here, there's a number of times in Scripture when Eden is used. Now, we're not going to go back to Eden. But we're going to get to go back with as if Eden hadn't happened. All right. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, the church. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden. The church is going to be blessed in such a great way. And her desert, like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. What's that about? I've been redeemed. I've been brought in. God has saved me by His grace. I had nothing to do with it. 
He was the one that came upon me with His great grace. God allowed me to hear the gospel of His free grace in Christ. He gave me the new birth. That's what we get to boast in, everything that Christ gives us. And we find out that we don't have anything to boast about in ourselves. So just think about this whole host. How many Jews? Now some have said those Jews were the ones that didn't go back to the land of Judah. Guess what? God took care of them. What a type that is. What a type this is. And the victory was theirs. They appreciated that victory. They celebrated in that victory. And they rested. And they banqueted. And they had great gladness. Just a typical picture of the church today. And throughout all ages. And throughout all eternity. We will rest. We will banquet. And we will be glad.